Good morning. Guess what? I brought the right sermon notes this week. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, that joke doesn't quite make sense, but uh, it's still fun, yes. All right, let's take a look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22, where he commands us not to be anxious. We'll do this, and then when I come back in two weeks, we'll start a series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So let's see, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to open our hearts and our eyes. Lord, we stand here this morning, or we sit here this morning, and uh, we recognize that we are an anxious people who are constantly facing anxiety over this thing or that thing. I admit, Lord, openly that, that even I have been anxious this week about various things going on in the world around me and inside of me. And have not practiced what you've asked us to do very well this week. And so we come here in your presence asking that your spirit fill this place and fill each of us to open our eyes, to see what you want us to see, to open our ears, to hear what you want us to hear, and to open our hearts to receive and believe what it is you're trying to give us. And we ask this knowing that you give good gifts to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me, I'm not sure I want to ask this question because I probably won't like you very much if you can answer it. Is there anybody here this week that has not had anxiety over something? Just raise your hand, All right? Oh, good. I'm really glad to hear that. If you're one of the people this week who did not have anxiety over something, I was not going to be very happy. Because what did you do that I didn't do? How did you get there? And so we constantly face 
this question of being anxious over something, right? I mean, apart from just the big world events going on around us that create anxiety, just the normal stuff of everyday life, right? And yet, Jesus gives us this, like, impossible command, right? Don't be anxious. Like, okay, is there anything else you want us to do that we're not able to do either? I mean, this is, you're you're kidding me. You really want me to not be anxious. Fine. Okay. We'll do it your way. And then you'll find out that you're wrong. But then we find out that we're wrong and he's right. So we start out with the very beginning of verse 22, that word, therefore. So he says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you'll eat, nor about your body or what you will put on. Okay, so here's the thing about a therefore, right? You can just mark this in the side of your margins or wherever it is that's helpful for you to keep something you want to be handy and remember. Therefore is like the phrase, because of that, go do this. Okay, so he tells us, because of that, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat about the body and what you will put on. Okay, so what was the because of that? Now we have to back up to verses 13 through 21 to understand the that part that came before. And he starts out with this. Luke starts out telling the story about how Jesus is teaching. And then this guy, I mean, you got to you got to understand the context of the situation. Jesus is teaching. Right. He's going along and he's explaining things. and He's helping people understand this. And maybe he's healing this person. And then this random guy just out of like nowhere in the back of the crowd jumps up and yells, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? I'm in the middle of teaching. Why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you so wrapped around the axle about your inheritance that you interrupt what I'm doing to ask me to become an arbitrator and judge between you and your brother? And his response to him is in verse 15. Well, he says to him, his response is in verse 14. I'm not a judge or arbitrator between you and your brother. And then he gives us this truth statement, right? He's now taking this opportunity of this unscheduled interruption to make a point. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the truth statement, okay? So be careful about covetousness. Then he goes on to tell the story about what we now call the the parable of the rich fool. The guy who had this phenomenal crop yield and decides, what am I going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And he does it. And then that night, he says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who does not lay up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So the point here, right? The true statement is don't be covetous. And the example is this rich fool who with his great success decided he would just keep everything, right? But yet as a result, but at the end of the day, he didn't get to keep it 
Do you, do you see, do you see the irony? He wanted to keep everything and he got to keep nothing because he died. As soon as he got everything into one big barn. Okay. And, and so the rich man's problem was selfishness and self-reliance. His problem wasn't that he was rich. It was the selfishness and self-reliance. And then Jesus says, because of that, don't be covetous. Don't be selfish and self-reliant. Because of that, don't be anxious. See, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The point Jesus is making with the therefore is be rich toward God and don't worry about the stuff. Okay. Now, I mean, right there, we don't even have to go any further. We don't have to get into the rest of this passage to already be into our first conflict. Okay. I, I, I get the part about, you know, being rich towards you, God. But don't worry about the stuff. I mean, I got a mortgage. I got car payments. When I can find what I'm looking for in the grocery store, I got to pay for that. I mean, really? You're asking me not to worry about that stuff if I'm rich towards you. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. Oh. Okay, you just never quit messing with my life, Jesus. Does anybody ever feel that way? You just never quit messing with my life. Be generous towards me and don't worry about the other stuff. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Okay, fine. Fine. We'll do it your way, Jesus. So don't be anxious about your life about what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. That's his command. He's actually telling us, don't do this. Don't be anxious. But it's giving us a command that is contradictory to everything in our human nature. Everything in our human nature says, I'm going to pay attention to this, and I'm probably going to worry about it. Why? Why is it so hard for me and my human nature to just let it go and not worry about it? Because I want to be in control. We want to be in control. We want security, right? Everybody, right? That's the big buzzword so often, security, right? I want to know. I want to be absolutely, positively, 100% guaranteed, sure Everything's going to be okay. Oh, wait a second. Didn't he just say that? Yeah. Oh, gosh. He just said that. He just said, don't worry about these things. For, verse 23, that's the because. Because life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he gives this long explanation about the examples from nature and finishes it with your father knows that you needs them and he will give them to you. Oh, well, that's a little different. You don't want me to worry about it and be anxious about it because you're going to take care of it. Okay. 
Well, that's a little easier. It's a little easier to believe that. It's a little easier to embrace that. But the reason to not be anxious about our lives is because you will give us what we need. You will provide for us what we need. And then he goes on to explain to us in verses 24 through 27 why all this anxiety about the cares of this world and the life that we live is absolutely useless. That's the other frustrating thing about anxiety. We get wrapped around the axle over stuff that we have almost zero ability to control. How much do I have control do I have over the price of gasoline? Zero. Yet what's the first thing that happened when I pull up to the gas pump? Get irritated about it. Start thinking about how much adjustments I'm going to need to make in my spending habits because of these changes in gas. How much control do I have over what's actually on the shelf in the grocery store? Zero. Nothing. Yet if I go in and my Duke's mayonnaise isn't on the shelf, what am I going to do? Well, that's different. I mean, it's Duke's mayonnaise. It deserves, I mean, it's, you should be upset if it's not available. See, we get wrapped around the axle over stuff that we have absolutely no control over. And that's why it frustrates us and why it's so irritating to us. We can't control it. In our human nature, we want to control everything so that we can be assured of the outcomes. Oh, wait a second. That's what God does. He's in control of everything, and so he's absolutely assured of the outcome, which means I'm trying to be like him. I want to be God. That never stops. Do you ever... Tell me you feel this way from time to time at least, that you sometimes recognize you never stop wanting to be God? I want to be God so I can be in control. I'm not him, so I'm not. I want to be him, but you're not. Do you guys ever have these conversations in your heads? Or am I the only one? I mean, I know I'm a little weird. I understand that. I accept it. Yes, Thank you. I have one taker on the question. I want to be God. Why am I not God? I don't know, but you're not. That's my, those are the conversations I have with myself. You know, you know, it's very frustrating when you have a conversation, when you have a debate with yourself and you still can't win. Have you ever think about the frustration of that? You can't beat your own self in this debate. Okay, sorry, that was all bonus material. I got sidetracked, I apologize. Okay, verses 24 and 27. Why is anxiety useless? Because we can't control it. He talks about how they don't, the ravens in the field don't do anything, but yet God feeds them. And he talks about how the lilies and the flowers and the grass have these amazing colors and textures to their physical beauty, but They don't have any control over that, yet they still have it. And yet you and I are more important than the birds of the airs and the flowers of the field to our Father in heaven. So I can look at the birds, 
look at the flowers and see a promise from my father. That as amazing as those are and as good a care as he takes of them, I'm worth more to him than they are, which means he'll take care of me. Okay. Well, that just changes. Do you you realize the, the, the gigantic shift in mindset we just made? If we will do that, if we will look at the birds and the flowers and remember we are worth more than they are. Do you see that, that shift in our mindset to, I can trust in him more just by looking at the birds and the flowers and using it as a reminder of how valuable I am to him. The promise in verse 28, I will take care of you because you are more valuable than plants and animals. And then we look in verses 29 through 31 for this contrast in attitude. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, right, don't do this, but do that. Or don't do that, do this. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Okay, wait a minute. We were just talking about food and clothing, and now you've switched to kingdoms. What? How, how do we get here? How do we get from food and clothing to kingdoms? I don't understand the switch you're making on me, Jesus. That's because he sees the world in the two kingdoms that exist. The kingdoms of this world, which is where we get wrapped up and wrapped around the axle, and his kingdom which is of this world and at the same time not of this world. Two separate places that somehow we're in both without understanding what they are. And his kingdom, our physical needs are met. We may not get everything we want, but our physical needs are met. Our emotional needs are met. Our spiritual needs are met. And we have fellowship with him and we have intimacy with our savior and our God. That's where you live in his, we live in this kingdom, but we also live in his kingdom where everything is what we need and we enjoy his fellowship, his love and knowing and walking with our savior. So that's the first command that he gives us here is don't be anxious. But instead, part of being generous towards God is seeking the things that are a part of his kingdom. And we come to the second commandment. Be generous while we trust him. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What? Wait. What? I'm going to get... You've got a kingdom and you're going to let me have it. Okay, I'm, all, I'm, I'm down for this. I'm down for this part. We're good now, Jesus. Just keep going. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do, do not grow old, with treasures in heaven that does not fail, 
where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the way we, the way we acquire the kingdom is to be generous in this life. Okay, Jesus, I don't think you ever took economics because that doesn't, that's, that's not the way, it's not the way Thomas Sowell wrote his book, Basic Economics. It doesn't fit that way. But his kingdom has a different economy. And somehow, I cannot explain this. I do not pretend to understand it. You acquire by giving away. That's how his kingdom works. I give away my control of self and I get his kingdom. Remember, and remember when he talks about giving away, he's not just talking about the physical stuff, right? He's talking about the whole person, heart, mind, soul, body. I give it away and I acquire his kingdom. I give away my worship and I acquire his intimate fellowship. I give away seeking my own kingdom and my own exaltation so that he is exalted instead. And I attain the most joyful peace and contentment that I could have acquired. And look, I don't, I don't even have to convince you that's true. You can, sitting right where you are, you can think of four or five people who through their own testimony will assent in a, to what I just said. They were chasing after all the things they could acquire themselves, all the fame, all the riches, all the glory, all that stuff, and they were still miserable after they got it. And then they gave it up for Jesus and found great joy and peace and contentment. This just doesn't make sense. But yet that's the stories we hear over and over. The narratives of people who've tried to do what we think we want to do tell us the same thing over and over and over. It just is empty and hollow. There's a story of one of the NFL quarterbacks who won a gazillion championships. And at the end, he was like, well, this is great, but it still feels empty and hollow. He's won more than anybody else on the planet ever. And it's still not enough. It's like the great financial mogul from the turn of the century. A reporter was asking him the wealthiest, wealthiest man on the planet that day. How much is enough? One dollar more. One dollar more. Look, we don't have to be a millionaire to recognize that we fall guilty to that same trap. Right? How much is enough? Oh, another 20000 a year? And then I get that, and it's like, mm, how about another twenty after that? My wife asks me that question often in the context of certain toys I have. How much is enough? Just one more. 
sooner or later we begin to recognize it's just not enough. And the only thing that's ever going to be enough is his kingdom in us and through us. See, the generosity here, this is the economy of Jesus. Generosity here is an investment in heaven. Again, I don't try to, I don't understand it. It does not make economic sense. It does not fit the science of economics. But nonetheless, it is true. Generosity here is an investment in heaven. And then he gives us this final reason that your heart and your treasure are in the same place. Wherever your heart is, that's what you will be treasuring and holding on to. And his purpose of the rich fool is to show that you can hold on to it, but you can't keep it. So instead, put your treasure and your heart in his kingdom. And let that be what draws you. Now, I know it's easy for the preacher to stand up here and talk about being generous because it's not his money. He's trying to convince you to give up. Right? Well, first, I want to remind you that I was talking about more than just the money. Right? Our hearts and minds, our whole being is what he wants us to give. Okay, how can I do this without sounding like I'm exalting myself? Okay. Somebody's anxious about something happening in their life. I take the time to encourage that person. Right? I don't actually give them any money. I take my time to encourage them to trust in their father in the midst of this very anxious moment of their life. That's investing in heaven without spending money. We, we speak to the person who is obviously chasing after something of satisfaction and, and contentment. But no matter how much success they achieve, they still can't taste it and enjoy it. And we speak to them of the hope of Christ. That's investing in heaven. Okay, so, so what, right? Guys, if you've been around me a while, you know that I, that's my big question at the end of everything. So what, right? So here's the so what. Whose kingdom are you investing in? Are you trying to build your own kingdom or his? Look, I know about trying to build your own kingdom. There was a time when I was aggressive and thirsty and hungry for success, had big plans for my life of how I was going to build a kingdom with my name written across the top of it. I even got a little bit of success in that area. I was a somebody in a very small pond, and it just wasn't enough. There, would, there was still like... <sighs> This, like, this, I expected it to feel better longer. I expected it to feel better, and I expected it to feel better longer. But it didn't. That's because I was trying to build my kingdom, 
not his. And when I finally gave up trying to build mine and started investing in his, life was nicer. It was more fun. Secondly, who are we listening to? Not just, you know, the outside external advisors. Even the simple question of, are you listening to yourself? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Who are you listening to? Right? I don't know about you guys, but when I listen to myself, I usually end up in very stupid places. You You guys know that I use the word stupid very intentionally. Right? Stupid is you know better, but you do it anyway. And ignorant is you do something without knowing any better. Right? Who are you listening to? Listen to the Spirit. The Lord Jesus loves us so much that he will communicate to us what it is we need to hear in those moments. What does our anxiety reveal about our heart? Look, anxiety is a heart issue more than it is a temporal, physical issue. And if I have anxiety, it usually boils down to I'm not trusting God in something. I've decided to trust something else or someone else. That's the very first key we need to recognize about anxiety is we now have our trust in someone other than the father. When we're anxious, when the anxiety hits, just stop, take some deep breaths and ask for the Holy Spirit to take over. Now, do you know how, I mean, do you recognize how counterintuitive that is? I mean, that is like the last thing I want to do in the midst of my anxiousness, especially if it's a very sudden burst of anxiety because of a very sudden event that took place is to stop, take some deep breaths and ask the spirit to take over. But I asked the spirit with a purpose. What is your desire for me in this moment, father? And here's how do you want me to respond? See the difference between reaction and responding seems very minimal, but it is very drastic. We react out of our fear and out of our self-trust. Responding is acting out of faith and trust in him, not ourselves. And when we react, we make bad decisions usually. But if we respond, we will oftentimes make good decisions in the midst of our anxiety. So just stop, ask the spirit to take over with the purpose of the father revealing what it is he wants for us, what is his desire for us in this moment, and how are we to respond. That simple little step will start us down the pathway of faithful obedience in the midst of unpleasant circumstances instead of running down a path that usually is not smart. Because we're reacting out of fear. So here's my emphatic plea with you today. That I practice completely imperfectly. Like I never even get close to perfect on this. 
recognize that the anxiety is a warning sign of a lack of trust. Ask the difficult question, why am I not trusting my father? And then seek the Spirit's wisdom, guidance, direction, and calming of our hearts. Do that when anxiety starts to take over. Then we can live as children of the promise instead of something else. Because all of this, this, these are promises from him. The promise that if we will look to him and invest in his kingdom, everything will be fine. And we will get to have it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that even in the most anxious moments, your love for us never wavers. And that you care and hope for the, and have the best for us in your plans. If we will submit to them, even in difficult circumstances. And I pray, Father, that you would do just that in us, that your Holy Spirit would just work in all of us with such great intensity and transforming power that we would become more like our Savior Jesus, trusting you in the most difficult of circumstances and reflecting to those around us the hope of you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.